hold it exactly like this the whole time. You'll hold that microphone that way the whole time? Yep. Okay. Hi, I'm George Techmanshub here with Steve the... Big Cat. Anderson and Aaron the Boss. Bucky. From Easton. <laughs> Aaron, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to come join us. Um, a lot of folks may not know, and a lot of folks do know, who follow us on Facebook, that you are the new president of Easton, and you've been there since, uh, since March, but a lot longer than that, really. Yes, yes. Uh, started with uh, Hoyt uh, over 16, 17 years ago. The best do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm I think all of us that. in this room could uh, say that, huh? Well, I actually started with Easton, and okay. then I went and worked for Hoyt. That's for, right. You were at Hoyt when I was there, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and we still get along. Yeah, amazing. Remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I thought, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity to, to have our listeners get to know who you are and, and, you know, what you do and your philosophy on things. But also, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, um, you know, there's been a lot of interest in listening to our podcast. A lot more folks have been tuning into it. And I just thought, you know, this is a great opportunity, especially with the company's hundredth anniversary coming up in the next couple of years and uh this happens to be podcast number 98 and it okay. happens to be year 98 for easton so that's it's a huge responsibility so we'll do one podcast next year and one the year following just one line them up at a hundred together no more podcasts until next year is that what you really want <laughs> well it might be what you really want i don't know if the <laughs> listeners want that but yeah, Aaron, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a big deal. I mean, how many companies make it to a hundred years? Not very many, not very many. And wow, you know what what an honor to to um, be considered for uh, such a such a heavy responsibility of with a company with such a long legacy and tradition, and uh, just so proud. And you know, Easton's just done such a great job of of being in a company with integrity company that gives back to the sport um you know we're we're sitting here in a in a legacy library just full of of monuments and and uh history it's just amazing it's uh you know and certainly joined at a interesting time in the in the world i think uh day one we were uh hit with an earthquake here in in salt lake city which uh certainly uh started things off in a very interesting manner <laughs> Uh, not to mention a uh, pandemic, and so a uh, few people have uh, expressed that they believe there's a correlation there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> between, between you becoming president and the earthquake? Correct. Correct. This is all your fault. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, your, your point's well made, because this building that we're in, the Archery Center here in Salt Lake City, is part of the Easton family's legacy of giving back to the sport of archery. Oh man, it, it's just so amazing. It's just a state-of-the-art facility. It's a, I mean, it's an honor just to be able to shoot here, let alone be associated with such a, such a great family within in the history and company and innovation. Yeah, and I, I think it would be great for you to talk a little about yourself. I know you don't, as a matter of habit, like to do that, but you know, you're an outdoor <laughs> enthusiast and an archer. And I, just tell our listeners a little more about that. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, I just love living in Utah. We've got really gorgeous mountains, beautiful deserts, just such a wide variety of uh, ecosystems out here. So anything to just get out and, uh, and enjoy the, the outdoors, I've always loved. I, I really didn't uh, participate in archery before starting uh, with Hoyt and, you know, immediately just uh, picked it up and just had a blast and you know, it's something fun to do at lunch and after work and made some friends that hunted and do my best to uh, 
wander around in the woods and see if we can trip over over something and it's been a lot of fun it just enjoyed it tremendously you also had an active role in the world cups that were here and and uh you go to the vegas shoot every year you do a lot of um uh, on scene on in-person attendance at archery events yeah that's uh one of my favorite things about working for easton is just the opportunity to get involved with so many different areas of the business um you know traditionally i was in accounting and and came up through the finance uh, end of things but uh you know, I was always given the opportunity to get involved in other areas, and I, I really enjoyed that. It's the size of the company allows you to not get so pigeonholed into any one area and, uh, you know, love the people I worked with. And, um, yeah, just really grateful for all the opportunity. So where did you start at Hoyt? I was the cost accountant there. And, uh, yeah. That was uh, about a year and a half. Uh, love the people at Hoyt. A great, great group of folks over there as well. Make an amazing product. Uh, the only reason I moved to Easton was there was a promotional opportunity. I came over and uh, to, accepted the accounting manager role, and um, just uh, partially through attrition and uh, and promotion, uh, hung around long enough to work my way into this chair. And so, in fact, you were you were <laughs> controller at one point or another, weren't you? Correct. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, that uh, put you into every aspect of the business. And that's one of the important things I think that Greg was considering when he was looking to have somebody succeed. Mark Pizzoni, who retired earlier this year, was somebody who understood every aspect of the business from engineering to the um, supply chain to the cost of things to, you know, running the operation, everything. Well, I'm certainly not going to claim to uh, understand every aspect of engineering <laughs> or some of those other disciplines you mentioned. But, uh, yeah, Mark Pizzoni was really good to me and, and uh, was a fantastic mentor, allowed me to get involved in, in most aspects of the business. And it was just a great training for me and um, yeah, allowed me to learn just a ton, which I continue to do every day. Um, you know, if you look at it from this perspective of Easton being a global company, but actually a fairly small family-owned company at the same time, you know, global reputation and reach, but also still very personal, um, I, I think it's, it's got to be a great fit for a guy like you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah, I think it has been so far. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to continue that. <laughs> going back to what you said about you started in cost accounting. So when I was at Hoyt, one of our other coworkers, Tyson, his brother, Darren, was our cost accountant for a brief period of time. And that's where I kind of got my first look into what he was doing. I, I liked him. We chat a little bit. And I remember one day I was in the back and he was in the back and he was watching people build strings. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm like seeing how much material they're pulling off. Right. And then seeing how much gets wasted and blah, blah, blah. So he was getting it down to, you know, the, the half pennies and stuff. on, Which adds up when you're doing a lot of... When you're doing, yeah, a significant quantity of any one product. Now you're, you know, that's why you see, you know, an item might be $1.107. Yeah, know? you take it out to several decimal places. Yeah, so I always thought that was kind of cool. And cost accounting is very difficult, I feel, for a company building stuff out of raw materials. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, we take a lot of pride in is, is being a manufacturer here in the USA, um, particularly in our industry with arrows. 
uh, that that's not the norm anymore. And so we have a mantra that, you know, every day we've got to earn the right to be a USA manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And, and in order to do that, you need to watch things to that level. And, you know, over the past five years, one of the things Mark Pizzoni, uh, the previous president introduced us to was uh, lean manufacturing. And we've been trying to go down that road and continue to do that, which, you know, simply put is just the elimination of waste. And, you know, that that's our focus. And that's what allows us to continue to be a, a USA manufacturer. Yeah, I, I, philosophically, right? It's not making people pay for stuff that adds no value. In other words, it really comes back to the end user. You know, you don't need as a person that just bought a dozen X10s to pay for something that didn't add value to your experience with those X10s. And, and I, I think that's a good way to look at it. Absolutely. Yep. You also um, have a lot of other areas at Easton that you actively support from the standpoint of manufacturing, uh, supplier to the U.S. military, supplier to other areas as well. Archery is still the lion's share of the company, of course, but uh, one of the things about Made in USA that makes Easton competitive is the fact that you're making things that have to be highly certified and vetted, and making them here in the U.S. helps that, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, at, at our heart, at our core, we are an archery company. Uh, and we are darn good at making small diameter precision tubing out of a number of materials. And as opportunity presents itself in other areas, uh, medical, military, as you mentioned, some commercial tent, uh, we will leverage those core competencies and, and dabble in those areas. Um, always keeping in mind that, you know, that cannot disrupt what we are at our core, and that's an archery company. No, but as a matter of fact, if you look at the history of the company, uh, Doug Easton himself, the company name was Easton Precision Tubing at one time. And so, you know, that was, that implied more than just archery. Correct, correct. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot about that from you, George, and I've really enjoyed your, uh, your first couple episodes on the 100-year history. Um, I'd recommend for anybody to make yeah, sure they go I, out and listen I, uh, to those. I listened to one of those. I found some, I found some uh, Easter eggs, we'll call them. Some things that I was going to ask you about. I figured you were suffering from insomnia if you actually listened to one of my solo podcasts. Well, there was a matter I'd like to dispute. <laughs> oh, Which was the charge of shot in the 20-gauge shell that Doug was hit with. Now, if I remember right, you said it was an ounce and an eighth. I'm just going off the family records. <laughs> Which would not be a typical weight charge for a 20-gauge shell filled with number, number six. Oh, George Double is giving barrel. me the signal to do it one time. <laughs> okay, I take it back. <laughs> Double barrel. Yeah, it's sad that those are the things I pick up on, you know, but... No, I think that's, that's brilliant that you picked up on that. <laughs> Brilliant's not the word I would have used. But uh, nevertheless, I, I respect the fact that you picked up on that. Any others uh, while we're at it? No, because once I got to that point, I was just so, you know, I was... I just, you tuned out. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. Can't, can't, can't listen like, to any more George. of this. Couldn't get off it. Gotta call George. <laughs> yeah, well, here you go. Yeah, so yeah, we'll definitely be putting more of those together in the next few months, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be exciting to, you know, see through the hundred years and 
you know, I'm sure we can have a special podcast for that in two two more episodes here. And well, I'm sure I'm not speaking out of school if I say that you guys have got some plans for the centennial, right? I mean, that's certainly uh, something. You know, that, we'll start thinking about that at some point. Yeah. 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 We'll probably come up with something. That, that's kind of a big Maybe deal. Maybe make a T-shirt. A T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, the uh, koozie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe print on a mouse pad. Something like that, you know. Tell me uh, a little more, Aaron, from your point of view on where archery is headed in the U.S. right now from, from the big picture standpoint. Um, we've had a huge disruption, and everybody knows that. But Easton is still healthy, and archery seems to be getting rolling again. Um, what's, your, what's your prospective view on things? Yeah, well, I don't, uh, I don't have anything incredibly insightful that hasn't been talked about a number of times with declining uh, you know, hunting uh, participation, availability of land and space to hunt on. Um, yeah, hunting is challenged no matter what. Even if we didn't have this. Yeah, yeah definitely making an impact on, on the vertical bow market, and, and that affects arrows as well. Uh, one thing I've been really pleased at over the past several months is how quickly uh, some of that's rebounded in terms of uh, re- you know recovery from the COVID and shutdowns and those kind of things. We're seeing incredible demand here uh, domestically, which I'm hoping is a sign of you know um, as people have some extra time, find, you know, picking up their bow and getting back out and shooting. And, yeah, either uh, new or renewed interest. Yeah, one too. What, what better activity you can do it? You know, mm-hmm. socially distanced. Um, if you can find a place to shoot, you know, you can um, provide food and yeah, yeah. So a lot I, of good I anticipate uh, there'll there'll be a, a, a renewed interest in hunting this year, and I think you know some of the applications for tags and licenses are. are playing that out so so that's been really positive um obviously you know on the target side and tournament side that's a lot more of a challenge and a lot of those events have been uh canceled or postponed so i think that will be a little bit slower to return but i'm very optimistic that it will i have the impression it's going to come back with a roar once things open up yeah yeah that's uh i mean that's definitely uh, an issue that we're trying to figure out how we get our our arms around because I, I agree with you <laughs> and and when that turns fast if it does which I'm hoping it does it'll be a good problem to have but uh, how are you prepared for that and how can you service those markets effectively yeah um, so. because it does take time to I mean just you know if you look at how long it takes to build an x10 as an example you need to put that order in in some cases months before to get the materials ready and you know you can't just flip on a dime and, and make that happen you have to plan ahead so yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's labor challenges, supply chain challenges, you know, everything else. So even if we're ready, if our suppliers aren't ready, if, you know, if we can't get the people we need to execute, then, um, you know, obviously all those things need to come together to pull it off. So, um, But very clearly, I think we're all expecting and hoping that we will see that sort of explosion of recurrent activity. Steve, you have any thoughts on that? Um yeah, I mean, it's very it's very interesting because we're, in theory, about to start competing again uh, next month in August. And U.S. Nationals are scheduled right, for Virginia. Yeah, and Virginia is one of the few states now that isn't experiencing, uh, you know, a significant increase in case count and yada, yada, yada. Everyone hears that kind of speak all day. I don't want to touch on it too much, but uh, I'm wondering if they're just going to bag the year. I don't know. I, I have no idea, you know what happens i have my personal thoughts of which i will not share on here 
but I, I would, yeah. I mean, That's never stopped you before. Yeah, I, I just would love to get back to it and and uh, see things going again. I, it's just hard. It's very hard to do in certain formats of archery. You know, I look at indoor archery. I'm like, man, how do you how do you do that in what what uh, would be considered a safe manner under COVID protocol? There's been a lot of online archery events that World Archery has put on and also regional organizations have been putting on. That is not the future of our sport by any no. means. But it has kind of given you a gauge as to just how eager people are to get back into participation, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe it's, you know, hopefully it's not the future of archery, but, you know, I think through all of this, there will be a lot of things that we can learn and there might be some things that we do want to keep around um, about you know, different responses to, to what mm -hmm. we're seeing. So, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I remain optimistic and I think we'll come out of this a lot stronger and, and yeah. better for it. That's the truth. I mean, archery was target archery was, I considered it to be a bit bloated in terms of the number of events and just how they were stacked on top of each other. There are some organizations I can't understand why they're around, you know, and, it got to the point where the participation was at such a level that, you know, there was the demand for, for tournaments and then some organizations just forgot that they need to put on a quality event. So they didn't have to, they didn't have to, they had enough demand that they could still make it. And, uh, you know, we'll see what, what becomes of it after this, but I hope, like you said, everyone comes out of it stronger. And I think there will, for certain be a, a new appreciation amongst people for being able to just one gather together and then two the to be able to do the things we do that's a really interesting observation because i think you can also apply it to the archery business in a way because i think that you you know a few months ago you saw a lot of these little companies kind of cropping up and selling products that weren't that great necessarily and kind of cashing in on the on the momentum that had been built up in the sport. And uh, I think that has been reset, just like the competition calendar yeah. has been reset. I mean, I'd say like five, six years ago, archery was, everyone wanted to be in it, right? And all these private equity companies jumped in and it overall was bad for the industry. And I'm not sure it was good for the consumer either. Um, but yeah, I think when I started at Hoyt, there was like 26 bow manufacturers. And three years later, when I left, there was 43, something like that. And it's probably you know? back to 20 something now. Yeah, it's probably heading back that direction. But just, you know, putting your business hat on again, um, you've got to do things to stay competitive in a situation like this and to stay relevant. And, Absolutely. And those are things you're working on at Easton. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, we were... Um, fortunate to be in a state that didn't fully close and didn't, uh, you know, have severe stay-at-home orders. You know, we, I think uh, I've been pretty proud of uh, how Utah's handled this overall. I think we took prudent measures, but, uh, you know, avoided some of the more draconian things. And, and that worked for Utah's situation. And it was a balanced approach, um, plus we're in an area that is not as, as urban. Yeah. Not as densely populated. Right, right. Yeah. So... Um, so through all that, you know, we had time to continue to innovate and continue to work on, you know, what we're up to with new products and, and you know, trying to move forward with some of our waste elimination and other initiatives. So uh, we've done a really good job at keeping our foot on the gas through all of this. And, you know, there's absolutely been a, a number of challenges. We had a uh, our Indiana facility was forced to close uh, for over a month. 
and uh, that's where we do a lot of our arrow finishing and like the fletchings fletching. on yeah. and then packaging and, and a lot of those types of operations and and uh, you know we're we're still trying to catch up from that. Um, our our Iowa factory that makes targets uh, was also able to keep running through the whole time, and uh, and we've seen a surge in that business. And I think a lot of that's related to people stuck at home and buying targets uh, so that they can continue to shoot archery and participate. You know while things are are slow and shut down. So, so you you know you guys are familiar, of course, with the old adage that uh, in times of economic recession archery and baseball and you know sports where you can get into the sport without having to spend a ton of money tend to do well um even golf falls into some yeah. of them yeah there one, one thing i tell parents you know i deal with a lot of parents um i say that you know it's not that i deal with them but i get to work with a lot of parents <laughs> um <laughs> You see, you know, they'll, they'll mention the cost of, of archery, and there, there's certainly, you know, there's relatively expensive items in archery, right? But nothing compares to sports like motocross, you know, where your medical bills are heavier, you know, as heavy as your uh, equipment bills and things like that. I, so, I can spend more in tires yeah. doing two track days on my superbike mm -hmm. than I would spend on all the gear that would get me to the Olympic games in the sport of archery. And I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the truth. So it, uh, archery, yes, there, there is expense and, you know, certainly it is expensive, but relatively it is not. Um, I remember in the last, you know, in 2008, 2009, the, uh, the last recession, I was working at a power sports shop and it was very interesting because you could see, within our own categories, the stuff that just went to virtually zero sales, but then other stuff significantly replaced it. So at that time, fuel was 420 a gallon for international listeners, you know. Our, Still our, half your price, international listeners. Yeah, but now we're, now we're, you know, 210 a gallon. And so yeah, 10 year, 12 years ago, we were double the price of fuel. So we were selling, I worked at a Kawasaki and Polaris dealer and we sold a lot of Kawasaki Ninja 250s, scooters, uh, KLR like 650s. Yeah, just, you know, fuel efficient motors, motorcycle stuff that people are like, well, I'm, you know, rather than commute in my pickup truck, I'm going to do this. Just here in Salt Lake City, I think five or six little dealerships opened selling imported scooters. Yeah. You know, that would get 90 miles per gallon or whatever. But what you <laughs> didn't see in those times was the eighty ninety thousand dollar ski boats being sold like that industry took a massive hit right that that stuff is very luxury item type things and the, you know so uh, something like archery can make it through because you're you don't have to go spend i mean if you want to get into tournament archery today you could probably do it with a two three-year-old bow that someone shot a 900 at vegas with you know you could probably do it for twelve thirteen hundred dollars and have nearly you know three year old top of the line stuff but you know i mean we you know it's the target archery podcast so we talk about stuff like x10s and whatever what people don't realize is easton sells literally millions of arrows that cost very little because there's so many people out there and there's so much demand for that kind of thing right right i mean like any sport you can go out and, and spend a lot of money if, mm -hmm. you, if you want to but it's really not necessary and you know i'm sitting in the room here with two people that 
would notice that kind of a difference and need that high-end <laughs> equipment. But uh, it's not going to make a lot of difference for someone like me. I can go out and have a great time and 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 shoot well for my ability. Um, you know for substantially cheaper than than a steve anderson <laughs> it, it depends on what level you want to enjoy it you know and there's there's a curve to that enjoyment where at some point now you've spent or you've gotten so far into the game now maybe you don't even enjoy it as much right now it's just a it, it's almost a how do i say it's like a mountain you have to climb right You're yeah like, well yeah we'll get through this so i've got some friends there are a couple who live um in utah county and they texted me Memorial Day weekend, their father-in-law had come up and he brought a couple of bows. And they'd never shot archery before. <clears throat> so my friend shows me a, a photo of his wife in the backyard with a bow. And so they were looking for a little advice, you know. I'm like, well, you know, I'll, I'll come down and give you guys a lesson. And, right. um, and there's a Shields down the road and you can go to the, to the store and you can get this arrow that Easton makes and it won't cost you more than $60 for a dozen or whatever it was. And the next weekend I got another photo and, and they have a group on their target. <laughs> it was, it was uh, fantastic. Yeah. The point is a lot of ways to get into archery without spending a lot of money. And, yeah. and that is one of the things that makes our sport very uh, in reach, yeah. you know, compared to golf. I mean, what do you spend if you, if you decide to just, you know, get a wild hair and decide to just go into golf? So, so Doug Denton um, has recently got that wild hair. Oh, no. I took him out a couple, about a month or two ago. We were all bored, you know, and so we went and played some golf. And, yeah, you can pretty easily spend 2500 just on clubs and then, you know, $60 every time you go play. And plus the balls you lose and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can spend a lot of money on golf. Right. Um, like you can't anything. You, but. Can, you can get into archery for your whole family for a tenth of that. Yeah, I actually got um some bows for my nieces and nephews i have four of them they're like five to 14 years old i bought two bows that they can between the four of them they can all shoot it um and then they have a, a dozen arrows they're all shooting you know it's not the right stuff but it's safe and they don't care they just want to see the thing fly and they're having a good time so and then we found out you know i've got a niece that uh she's gonna be like six foot tall i think and she wants to be a gymnast. She's related to you, and she's going to be six yeah. feet tall. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. So yeah. she wants to be a gymnast, which, you know, we tell her, like, hey, you're probably going to be too tall for that. Six-foot-tall gymnast. Maybe yeah. she can translate it. Five-foot-tall is almost too tall anymore. I was going to say, maybe know? she can play volleyball instead. Well, she picked up this wood recurve the other day and was pretty proficient with it. So I'm like, hey, you know, you've got these Olympic dreams. Maybe they're uh, in another sport. So it's time for Steve to – learn how to coach some recurve. But I, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. Oh, I'll no. figure it out. Yeah, uh oh. Oh, no. <laughs> You're going to figure it out, huh? Yeah, I'm not taking some level one, level two system. I'm going to establish a different protocol. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think that might be a subject for another podcast coming up. Well, what would you do if you were a coach? Oh, I kind of am. Yeah, so if you were, I mean, would well, I know how, I know you're more more or less your shop process right sure how you would do it so yeah, yeah. so i'm going to help her get into it and well i'm going to look forward to seeing the results here. of that because that could actually you know here's the thing steve anytime there's a change in sport anytime there's a sea change it's because somebody came into it from a different angle they mm -hmm. weren't doing it the way everybody was doing it you can't do it here so that could very well be 
something that could be important. You could do it the way everyone's doing it, but not in America. <laughs> Speaking of uh, having fun with archery, one of the big things that Easton does is support the National Archery in the Schools program. And mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, I mean, the Genesis Arrow, which is uh, the arrow of the program, is the official arrow. Mm -hmm. And um, Easton's doing a lot with NASP even this year with the situation that we've got uh, looking ahead, you know, I think that there's some opportunities to grow that area as well. Right, Aaron? Oh, absolutely. And we, we look to support that and, and really any other endeavor that helps people get uh, familiar with archery and into the sport. And uh, we hope that it'll sustain. Um, but yeah, if, uh, if it leads to more archers, we're absolutely looking to support it. And the same is true, of course, at the world level, where Easton's a major supporter of world archery, and uh, that's also a great relationship. Absolutely. Same vein. Yeah, I've always been, I, I've said this on the podcast a lot, but when you go to a, a tournament like Vegas, you know, look at the companies that help make it happen. And Easton's the one that's really put archery where it is in a modern day. You know, I can't imagine without the Easton family where the sport would be. I don't think it would be Olympic. There's no question about that, although I hesitate to to really acknowledge that because it um, it would embarrass people like Jim and Greg to to put it in those terms. But the truth is, uh, without Jim Easton in particular, um, our sport might not exist in the Olympic Games today. Yeah, I don't think it would be nearly what it is. And, and then, you know, I uh, I'm a believer in supporting the companies that make a lot of this happen for us so so i know aaron you're very dialed into the olympic legacy of the company and you're proud of, of that aspect of things as well oh absolutely take a lot of pride in that yep. as we sit one meter away from the tour the the, the arrow that lit the barcelona flame right there. right yeah we are we are in the right place to to remember that huh? yeah well you know that that is um very clearly uh, part of the company's legacy and the passion that everybody at easton seems to have for our sport well, we didn't, we didn't introduce Aaron properly, you know. He is an international archery competitor. Oh, okay. Oh, here we go. You know. <laughs> um, he did compete at Kings of Archery last year. Oh, yeah. Compete is a strong word. <laughs> he did participate at yeah. Kings of Archery. That goes year. on the resume good, as good, international, good <laughs> international archer, archer Aaron Lucky. Yes. I believe my claim to fame might have been the only hunting bow at the event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he shot hex arrows, right? Yeah. <laughs> did not get last place, though. Yeah, now, I think yeah, someone had well. to leave early. <laughs> <laughs> you were well ahead of that pace. You were fine. Well, that absolutely makes you an international archer. No, but it was it was cool. You know, I, I appreciate when people in our company come and see what it is because so many there, there's a lot of uh, assumptions about the game and from from all over the place. You know, so I was appreciative that you uh, came and then you you know you strapped on the boots and went and played. So yeah, it was yeah. Fun. I, I must admit I was a bit nervous right at the uh, beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a great experience. It had a, yeah. had a lot of fun towards the end, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really glad I did it. Yep, that's archery. And I know that everybody's looking forward to getting back to events like that one. You know, I was talking to Bruce Cull from the Vegas shoot and all the other stuff mm -hmm. that Bruce does, and, you know, he's, uh, his staff is working full-time getting ready for Vegas 2021. Oh, Bruce has to be going crazy a little bit right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, his personality type doesn't fit in with sitting around doing nothing no he's the last guy yeah. that, 
He's something yeah. else. Yeah, he's a. You know, I have to say, people have whatever perception of Bruce they have, you know, and and uh, I'll say it's changed a lot over the years. People see that Bruce is always going hard for the sport. I think that people have come to realize just how much he really does yep. do for the sport. Yep, it's fun to it's fun to be around him. Um, I don't know if I've shared this story, but I was staying at Bruce's house one time, and he's got like a a little apartment above the garage. I was staying in there and I had forgot to bring shampoo. So I looked under the sink and there was some shampoo, real tree, scent free shampoo. Oh, like for hunting, okay. for hunting. Yeah. All right. Now, what you may not know about Bruce is I think Ted Nugent was the best man at his wedding. Ted Nugent, the Nuge. Yes. So I was like, I bet this is, and he goes out there and hunts right in, in the Yankton area with Bruce. It's like, I bet this is Ted Nugent's shampoo. Probably Ted Nugent's third home. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, you know, I, I found a hair on it, put it in a... No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I, I went down. I said, I, he said, hey, did you have everything? You Listeners, need? if you could only see the look on my face <laughs> and on Aaron's face right now. I can't believe you even went there. It was a joke. So anyhow, um, I mean, I'm not sure what's, what's wrong with a... Just, ahead just of continue. Hair. Just keep going. <laughs> so, so I said, he, Bruce said, "Hey, did you have everything you need?" And I said, "Yeah, I, you know, there was some real tree shampoo under the sink." And he goes, "Well, you know who shampoo that is? It's Ted's." <laughs> I was like, "I figured, <laughs> Uncle Ted's." I think you just won the award for best Bruce call. Yeah, impression. I've been told I'm pretty good at that. That was so. not bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, if you're going to have the wheels come off the podcast, you might as well have them in front of the boss. Yeah, I mean, well, he listens. Aaron's a podcast listener. Oh, yeah. He knows oh, yeah. all of our hijinks. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, now he's getting to see what's happening behind the scenes. Firsthand. I hope you're not too disillusioned. No, he's, no. Back in the day when it was in the uh, Easton Legacy Room, uh, Jacob and I used to try to plot things to go on in the parking lot <laughs> if we could figure out uh, <laughs> when you were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how, yeah. We, we might have to return there someday just because of the vista that it gave us over yeah, the parking lot. We got to go there at 3 o'clock. When everybody's important. leaving? When, yeah, when, when first shift of production is When the is demolition leaving. derby is underway in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, those are things that never get old. I mean, it's, it's been... I'm not going to say it's been hard to podcast, but certainly the podcast with no events, you know, eventually it's like watching SportsCenter right now. You, you're like, all right, so there's nothing happening. I get it, you know, and they're just talking about what might happen or who might go where and this and that. And, you know, maybe our podcast is getting that way a little bit. I haven't had, you know, a result to speak of or you haven't been able to say any foreign people's names with perfect enunciation and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, so now the podcast is really coming off the rails. Well, uh, yeah, I suppose. But, you know, we've, we've, we've kept at it, um, you know, and <clears throat> one of the feedbacks we got was people wanted to hear it more frequently. So we've made our best effort to try to accommodate that and, uh, and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, we're supposed to do shorter episodes. I think we're going too long already. Well, we're working on uh, wrapping up pretty soon here. What's our time at right now? Oh, let's see here. We're at 20 or 35 minutes. Did, and you, did you push record this time? I did. I pushed record this time. <laughs> I figured not pushing. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. I'm our, thinking you can make that mistake, but making it in front of the president of Easton is probably yeah. worse. Hey, we than, need you to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That would be bad. Our best episode ever didn't make it. 
I'm not going to argue the point. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember <laughs> afterwards we were just like, we, we can't repeat that. No, it, we, it was you lost forever. You can't even try. It was lost forever. Yeah, to even try would just be, it would, it would seem forced, so we just kind of let it go. Yeah, we, we had to. It was a sad loss to the history, to the annals of the sport. <sighs> All right. Hey, Youth Archery World Championships has been set. Uh, it's going to be in Ireland. Nice. Yeah. Dublin? Limerick. Don't know where that is. I'm going to look it up. Well, anyway, that's where it's going to be. And also, um, they're going to have the World Archery Congress next year in Yankton. The World Archery Congress will be in Yankton. I heard they were going to be doing that because yeah. of, that's where World Championships is, right? Correct. It'll be the uh, World Championship next year, and they will have it at the Hyundai World Archery Championship in Yankton. So, so. what are they doing with the schedule to um, accommodate... So we're going to get an announcement on that in the next few days. Tom Dillon has uh, promised to join us for the podcast coming up next week when we will discuss the big picture for the rest of the year's calendar. He uh, intimated that we'll get some news on that subject. And, you know, I know, Aaron, you're looking forward to at least getting out to a couple tournaments this year. Oh, I would love to. I'm sure hoping that's in the cards. I just need to see how things go. Yeah, because I I think, you know, when we before we started the podcast, we were having a conversation and Aaron made the comment, Steve, that uh, you were expecting to travel a little more than this. Yeah, yeah. When Mm -hmm. I figured out uh, Greg was going to give me this role, I told my wife, well, expect I'll I'll probably be gone quite a bit. And uh, (laughs) that was a a missed call. That was in March. (laughs) Yeah. And that turned out to be somewhat different. (laughs) Oh, well, what are you going to do? So, yeah, that's that's pretty good news. Uh, looks like a lovely place. There's a photo here. Yeah, I looked it up. Uh, and wow. um, that looks beautiful. Yeah, Big River. Limerick Island, or Ireland, rather. So that's... Um, it's in the kind of the west central part of the country. Well, between, I just mentioned it because I know yeah. you're partial to the place. Having yeah, won Ireland's the world cool. championship there and everything and, you know, done what you've done. I thought maybe you'd enjoy that opportunity to go there and uh, visit the Youth World Championship in 2023. So, you know, seems so far away when, you know, the last, the last three months have been one hell of a year. You <laughs> Understatement. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> That's what else can you say? Uh, well, listen, Aaron, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. And I know that uh, as, as uh, the next few months come up and we get closer to our uh, centennial, uh, and a lot of other stuff happens. We're going to want you back on. So thank you for joining us. Oh, well, I really appreciate you both having me and, uh, and particularly inviting me back. We'll see how many people uh, unsubscribe and if that uh, <laughs> invitation continues. But, uh, I'd look forward to it. If they haven't unsubscribed because of something we've done, they're not going to. <laughs> yeah, we, we weeded out. We have done a great job weeding out the weak, the ones who couldn't handle. <laughs> yes, we'll call them the weak. 